0: Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 reads like this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I'm glad there is a formula that you can prove yeah. what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. And then in the same book of Romans, if you'll turn back to chapter 6 for one verse. That will be verse 13. Romans 6:13 says this. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of righteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God, as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. The subject of what I want to bring to you that God has given me is in these words, yield yourselves to God. You may be seated. When Brother Freeman and I started preaching 45 years ago in New Mexico, preachers were awfully scarce out there in that dry part of the world. And uh, when anyone come along, everyone, it wasn't many of us either, we all went to hear. And after we went to hear a visiting preacher one day who portrayed how that the church was going to dwindle, And he emphasized a great falling away. We got back home and we were very sad and we felt like we had to make some kind of a decision. And Brother Freeman said, it's hard for me to believe that the Lord would go to all the trouble to die for this church. And then just before it fades away and collapses and disintegrates, he grabbed what little bits left and take them away. He said, no, I don't believe it. I believe in revival. And we made a pact that day between the two of us that we believe in revival. And there was times when we thought we'd never see it, but we still believed in it. And every time someone has stood in this pulpit and said revival, cold chills go up and down my spine. I believe it so strongly. I do have this unique privilege every year now. For twelve years I've been traveling from coast to coast up and down, north, west, east, and south. And I've got this little habit, the first thing I do in any church I go into, I start figuring, I always did have a mind to go out, yonder and figure out something. How are they going to enlarge this place to take care of that great revival? What wall could they knock out? And how is it going to be possible to get many more people in here? Because I believe it's so strong. And, And I'm just expecting any moment to hear I know it's. We're so close to it, and then uh, people will ask me now, Sister Freeman, why do you suppose we're not seeing? Oh, there's a great swing. Let me tell you something. As one that has visited many churches, there is a tremendous upsurge. It's happening. It may not be happening where you are, but it's happening all over our fellowship. There are churches that were seem to uh, seem to be stagnated, and they are beginning to blossom and to grow and. Some areas a regular explosion, but there's still some whys. And as I've pondered and as I've prayed, the Lord brought me back to this simple basic. If only his people would yield themselves to him. Give yourself. Now, there's a lot of people that point their finger at the pulpit. That's where the problem is. You'd better go look in the mirror and point your finger there. Because that's where the problem is. The Lord wants us to learn this lesson of yielding ourselves to God. In any service that you go to, and any place that you're preaching, if you're a preacher, if you yield yourself to God, there's going to be something happen. If somehow we could... You know, Brother Freeman and I a few years ago were in a district that had just had a tragedy and some disgrace, and they were in serious financial problems, but they were going to try to have camp meeting. But that was a glummest looking bunch of preachers on the platform. I sat back there and prayed for them. I felt so sorry for them. And as I looked on the people, there, there just didn't seem to be any spark anywhere. And they were trying to sing, and I want you to know it, it was pathetic. And But I saw one little old lady. I'm sure she was not a college graduate. She looked like a farmer's wife. I don't really know what she was, but I saw her begin to clap her hands. Nobody else was clapping, but she clapped her hands, and she just kept on clapping. And pretty soon, she got so conspicuous, she stood up and started clapping her hands. And then she started walking up and down. And then you heard a few timid people. Well, then I thought, I'm watching. Let me get with her. And then others. And I want you to know, in the course of a song service, that little old darling turned that camp meeting around. Because she yielded her members, her body. Probably she couldn't have given a flowery sermon, but she yielded herself. And she clapped her hands until people began to clap their hands. And it brought victory,
1: and God moved in that cabin,
0: because just one person, just one person yielded themselves to God. I've got an illustrated lesson to this in a revival that I preached while we was pastoring in Rosepine, 1943, just across the line over in Bonware, Texas. And God gave me two illustrations for me to remember the rest of my life of what can happen through yielding, just giving yourself to God. Everything we are and everything we have and everything we can do and every ability we have or lack of ability, it all must be on the altar to him, constantly available to him. He's not going to use one person all the time. But you better be there on the altar, surrendered and dedicated having given given it all to him if he's ever going to use you. Well, dear brother Joe Costi decided to remodel his house. I don't even know the description of, uh, of terms, but anyway, the, the, that house was built with boards standing up and there was another little board over the cracks. Well, he took those little boards off to do something else. I've forgotten what, but all I know is a norther came in and the room I was sleeping in had walls on three sides. And as a result of the norther, I ended up with pneumonia, preaching every night, having a wonderful time, a wonderful revival. But I, finally, his, his, his wife came in to see how I was feeling. I said, ask Brother Coffey to come in again. I said, Brother Coffey, I'm not able to preach tonight, and I'm coughing, and I've got such a fever. I said, you just go ahead and preach. He said, no, Sister Freeman. The Lord's using you. You've got the mind of the people, and it won't do any good, and I don't feel like it's right. I said, but brother, how can I preach? I'm feeling my forehead. I'm burning up, and I haven't got a voice. How in the world can I preach? He said, Sister Kofty, uh, Sister Freeman, Sister is going to help you get dressed, and, and you're going to preach. I don't know how. I said, I don't even believe I can walk over to the church. It wasn't very far. I don't. He said, Sister, coffee will help you. Some of the girls will help you. They'll get you over there. And somebody's going to pray the prayer of faith. Well, weak and trembling... And feeling like that never in my life was I such a spot. They finally got me over there sitting on the front seat. And I thought I was going to fall off a time or two. I was never so sick in my life. And I had a handful of Kleenexes and handkerchiefs. and, And I'm coughing and coughing and coughing. And Brother Cofter said, Now any of you that feel led to come pray for Sister Freeman. Now, uh, somebody here is going to pray the prayer of faith for her. And I saw everybody was just looking at me, and I'm sitting up there coughing and burning and, and shaking alternately, and, and, uh, and different ones come and pray, and I'm so embarrassed because... There's no difference. I just stay like I was. The deacons prayed for me. The Sunday school superintendents. uh, The Sunday school teachers. And then some of the dear old sisters in the church, they came one by one. And I felt like, you talk about feeling like a worm. And I just wished I would just shrivel up and just... It was so embarrassing. Well, uh, they prayed so nice, and they they meant well, and they're trying to believe God. And I just stayed sick, and coughing, and burning up. No difference, no change. And it's getting on through the service. And finally, he decided to have one more special song. They'd already had three. And back those days, if they had two, it was a wonder. Uh, but he called one more special song. And... Uh, and I wondered, what's going to happen now? And all of a sudden, I saw something coming down the aisle. It was a little old lady. She'd been backslid for eight years. She only prayed through the night before. And she came hunched over. Just, she, she couldn't even straighten up. And just before she got to the platform, she got out on her knees. And she crawled up. And she touched my toe. And she said, Sister Freeman, I'm not worthy to pray for you. But when Brother Kofta said it, something kept telling me to come. And she touched my toe. I come up over that seat. I dance. I shouted.
1: My voice come back.
0: Saints of God, when you go to church... Instead of going to be entertained and to be blessed and try to get something, why don't you go yielded? Go in with your hands up and say, here I am, Jesus. No telling what a preacher would do if he had a bunch of yielded folks to preach to. No telling what God would do in our services. That doesn't mean you've got to get up and take it over. You can sit there yielded and pray and worship and just whatever He wants you to do. That little old lady didn't feel like she was worthy to come and pray for me because she'd been back for so long. But she was yielded. And she was the one. I finally got to learn that our unworthiness and our lack of ability and our helplessness and... and And our incompetency (laughs) has got nothing to do with it. He's looking for a vessel that he can use in his way. There's a man here that I've known a long, long time. He come up to me last night or night before and said, Sister Freeman, I don't suppose you remember me. I said, Grady Powell, I'll never forget you. I remember you from way back. Let me tell you, uh, he'll forgive me for telling you this. But uh, I was preaching the meeting and uh, Brother Powell hadn't been saved too long. and He was sitting there praying and I was looking at him and somehow I knew that he's now making some little plan here. And now, Lord, I'm going to go speak to somebody. He may not even remember this. The fact that he's still here is such a testimony to what he is. I'm going to go speak to somebody. I'm going with my eyes closed. I'm not going to look where I'm going and whoever I will stop in front of, They're going to come to the altar, and they're going to get right with you. And he started out. And I watched him going, and my heart went with him, because I knew that it was his deep desire to do something for God that was moving him. And it wasn't what he thought it was. And he stopped in front of a person, and he opened his eyes. And that was the most precious saint in that church. And he hit the altar.
1: (laughs) I went over
0: and knelt down to Brother Grady, you tried, you tried. You was reaching for a soul, and God's going to bless you for that. Now don't you get out here and bawl and squall and beat yourself over the head. And you keep that desire to do something, and you make yourself available. God is going to use you. God is going to use you. But in that same meeting, I had prayed all day, I'd fasted that day. God had got to have a sermon. I mean, there's so many people, they had a bunch of soldiers on Biff and we had dozens of them in the church every night, a- and several of them got the Holy Ghost. And I said, God, I've got to have the right message, and he wouldn't give me a thing. I mean, I didn't hear from heaven. And it got down, I'm sitting on the platform, and I'm wishing that I was a thousand miles away, because I haven't got a thing, and I don't know what I'm going to preach. And it's getting down closer and closer and closer to that time. I guess the Lord knew that if he told me way ahead of time, I'd just refuse. But just at the last minutes he said. I want you to preach on a place where two ways meet. I said, Lord, I don't even know where a scripture is that would go with a a, a place where two ways meet. I never heard it. Oh, what am I going to do? And I opened my Bible, and there it was. And uh, Brother Coffey turned it over to me, and I went to the pulpit. And when I got there, I walked up, saying, Jesus, I've just put myself in your hands completely. I've never felt so helpless and so unprepared and so useless in all of my life. And then I heard myself read that scripture. I've never in my life, I'm so scatterbrained, I've never in my life preached a firstly, secondly, thirdly sermon, but I did that night. And I began to give illustrations I'd never heard of. It, 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 it got uncanny. I, I had the weirdest feelings. And there was one soldier that caught my attention. And when I read that text, he sat up and looked at me wide-eyed, and then he just slumped, and he put his cap over his face. <laughs> but I couldn't help it. I'm preaching that whole sermon to him. I mean, I, couldn't, I didn't look anyplace else. I'm just preaching that sermon to him. And it was as new to me as it was to the rest of the folks listening. I I couldn't believe it. I I, I don't know where I got all this stuff. I heard myself quoting scriptures. I don't know. I I heard myself saying things that I'd never heard of. And and I I got so afraid. I thought, well, if this ever leaves me right in the middle of something here, I, I, I won't know where to go from there because I don't know what's going on. But I felt it lift. That's, that thing that had taken, that something that was doing this had to be God. And then I made the altar call. And then I hit the altar, one of the first ones myself. I didn't know what was going on. And someone came and tapped me on the shoulder and said, Brother Coffey wants you in the office. And I went in there, and there was that soldier that had covered up his face. And he said, where did you get that sermon you preached? I said I've prayed and fasted all day and asked God to give me one he said I still don't believe it I used to be a Baptist preacher I got to drinking on the sly when I became such an alcoholic that they couldn't stand me anymore they put me out I've become a derelict I've lost my family and now that I'm in in this war and I hope that I'm going to die. I hope I don't come back from wherever they're going to send us, wherever they're getting us ready to go. But he said, back when I was right, I had to preach at a youth rally, and I prayed, and I searched the word, and I went through magazines, and I went through books. And you got up there tonight, and you preached my sermon word for word, exactly like I preached to that youth rally. He said, it wasn't written down. Where did you get it? I said, it was God. It was Jesus. He said, why would he give you my sermon? I said, because he's reaching for you. He's got something for you better than anything you've ever got. And a few minutes later, heaven came down in that little office. As a man found peace and found God. Preacher, it might be a good idea sometimes to throw away that outline and to be open for God, be yielded. Let God change your program. We've got programs that, that are so good, but oh God to help us not to get so programized that we can't yield to the moving and the leading of the Spirit of God. If and when all of us are completely yielded and everything we are and everything we have and everything we can do is yielded to God. Paul thought it was so important. He begged, I beseech you, I plead with you, I beg of you. Give yourselves to God. Give yourselves to God. You know... And after you do, when you make this commitment, I'm not just going to, from here on, just go along and doing what comes naturally. I'm, from this moment on, I'm going to be given to God, surrendered to Him. Everything I have, all that I am, it's all His. And whatever He wants me to do, I will do it. Don't you say that unless you mean it. You better mean it because it isn't always easy to do what He wants you to do. I remember when we made our consecration to go to Africa. No nobility should, nobility should be ascribed to us for that, because the Lord didn't let us do anything else. He stayed on our case day and night, day and night, day and night. One of those times we'd come home from trying to meet the board that they waited for all afternoon out in the hall with our little children, and then they came out amazing. They could take care of all the business, the whole world, between 1 and 6 on Saturday afternoon at the conference. But we waited the whole time. We was there before one o'clock and when they came out just after six and said they didn't have time to talk to us, we come home, went on our knees and rose by and down by an old heater and said, God, we're going to go someday. We're going to go. We're going to go. We've made the consecration. We're going to go. You're going to help us and we'll just go back next year. But you see, when you've put your sacrifice on the altar, there's something that happens the Lord brought to my mind in the night Abraham. He said to the Lord one day, I think that's Genesis 15, he said, what are you going to do for me seeing that I still don't have a child and I don't have anybody? And the Lord told him what his sacrifice was to be. And if you really want to know, he'll tell you what your sacrifice should be. He'll let you know what you've got to lay on the altar, what you've got to surrender to him. He told him what it was, and he got it, and uh, a heifer and a goat and a ram and turtle doves and a young pigeon, and he put it all on the altar. And it says then that the fowls, the vultures came, and Abraham had to beat them off. This is my sacrifice, but I beat them off. There's nobody that's ever put anything on the altar for God that the vultures didn't come. That's right. That right. I, I will, I've just got to mention to you three that we went through. The first one was my dear old grandmother sent for me and said, very urgent, I must come to El Arkansas. And I went. She said, now, Nona, uh, I want you to know that you're my first granddaughter. And I've uh, settled money on your father and your uncle and your aunt, and I want to give you my estate. There's this farm out here, 383 acres and that beautiful old farmhouse on it. It's all yours. And you know that we all know that there's oil out there because there's a spring out there that runs, that the the pitch or the oil comes out of the ground into that spring. So you probably will get oil out there someday. And there's three rent houses here in town. Now, this house I've given to my daughter, but these three rent houses, and it's all yours. And besides, my wardrobe, Grandma Sula had a wardrobe, and she made beautiful handmade quilts. But everybody's eyes, everybody said all we want when Grandma's gone is that wardrobe because she didn't have much dealings with banks. But between all the folds of all those quilts, that was where it was. And she said, and my wardrobe will be yours. No one is to touch it after my death. It's yours. And I said, well, Grandma, that's wonderful. That's beautiful. I appreciate that so much that you'd want to do that for me. But of course I knew her. I said, uh, what are your conditions? She said, oh, oh, don't worry about that. Just come on. Let's go downtown. The papers is at the lawyer. She said, I mean, I'm doing this right. I'm going to see to it that you get it. We're going to go down there and, and to the lawyer's office and all you've got to do is sign that paper. I said, on, let's Let's talk about first what you want me to do. Because I, I can't sign that paper unless I know what I'm signing. She said, it's simple, honey. It's not hard. All I'm asking is that you never live outside the shores of the United States. I put my arm around her and I said just phone the lawyer and tell him that uh, we're not coming and I appreciate you, I love you for what you've done and all you've meant to me but Grandma God has called me to Africa, he's called my husband to Africa and we're going. And She burst into tears, she said honey if I just could stop you, bless her heart. She didn't realize it was like a vulture trying to block us. And then we had a preacher friend that later left the United Pentecostal Church. Brother Jack Moore came to our house one day. He said, Brother Bud, you know how much I love you. And I want to do something for you folks. I know you're going off to Africa. And I want to do something for you. I want to build you a home. Now, you pick out the land in any city or farm or whatever you want, wherever you want it. I'll buy the land. And then you come to my office, and i got a lot of beautiful plans. And you pick out the plan, and I'll build you a home. And I'll build it just like you want it, whatever. I don't care if you pick out the biggest house in that house. I'll build it for you. It's no cost to you, and it's all yours. He said, well, Brother Jack, let me pray about this. He said, man, are you crazy? I'm not, there's no strings. I'm giving it to you. I, I, I just want to do something for you. You'd have that rent coming in while you're over in Africa. And then if you could decide to stop missionary, you could just come back. I've got a wonderful place to live. And why would you have to pray about that? He said, well, Brother Jack, I've just got this habit. I've made it a long time ago that i don't do anything without I ask the Lord about it. He said, I'll let you know next week when I see you. And the next week he said, Brother Jack, thank you so much for your thoughts and your kindness. And you wanting to do this for us. But the Lord says no. He says no. Why would the Lord say no when I'm giving you something that could benefit you later on in life and be a help to you? He said, I don't have any idea. And may God bless you and reward you for your desires to do something for us. But I'll have to say No. You see, the Lord already knew that when we got over there with five small children and we didn't receive a penny, we got, we got to our destination flat broke due to some unexpected expenses. And with our five small children, we were in a foreign country among people that were suspicious of us and didn't like us because we were foreigners without one penny. I'm afraid. If there had been a beautiful home somewhere in Louisiana we would have never stayed. God would have sent somebody else to have guided the work to where there would be a quarter of a million souls by 1984. But we would have
1: lost God.
0: It was another vulture attack. But that wasn't the last one. We left our home in Rose Pine, the last day of February, 1948, and in January, Brother Freeman went just to the barbershop to get his hair cut. And a man spoke to him said, Brother Freeman, I'm in a very odd situation. Said My wife has inherited a lot of land and a lot of money, and her parents already had it lined out to build a whole subdivision. Now, I've got enough cash to build the first two houses. But I don't know anybody I can trust. Now, you don't have to interfere with your preaching. You don't have to leave off anything else. You do everything you need to do in the work of God, but I just want you to take care of the money and you to hire the men and you just to see it's done right. And when those first two houses are built and sold and I've got the buyers waiting for them, we'll split it down the middle. Half of it will be yours. And as long as you will help me with building those houses, on oh, every house that you build, that you just supervise, you don't do any, you don't have to do any work at all. You just hire somebody to do it. And every one of those houses, till that whole subdivision is built, we'll split it down the middle. That money'd come in awful handy over there in Africa. I have to pray about it. He went back with his answer. I'm sorry. We've been waiting a long time to get off to Africa. And I just feel in my bones that this is going to be it. That God's going to let us go this year. He's going to do something this year so that we can go. I thank God for that man's wisdom and dedication. That money would have kept us in America. And I don't know if our souls would have even been saved. I can't help it, but I think sometimes that our preachers have made mistakes getting involved and too many... Maybe I shouldn't say this, but I can't help but feel it. I watch them. I remember some of that zeal that they had years ago. You know, when you just see folks once in a while, you see the difference. And I see them getting sort of solidified. and. Satisfied with the status quo and not reaching for revival like they should be and accepting things as it is and just going through the motions. Got a good little old church over here. We're doing pretty good and we did this and we did that and we did the other but they don't realize what they could do if they could get it all on the altar. I'm not against anybody having anything that they can keep dedicated. And keep on the altar. Oh, God. Over there in Genesis 15, it says, After the vultures, there came a horror of darkness. The sun went down, and there came a horror of darkness. If you really submit yourself to God and really yield yourself to Him, willing to do whatever He wants you to do, let me tell you, friend, the sun's going to go down. And there's going to be a horror of darkness. When he got through the vultures, there was darkness and there was horror there. But Abraham didn't give up. I want to read you just one verse from that chapter. It says, And it came to pass, that when the sun went down, there came a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between. God put his lamp down there and went through all the pieces. I mean, whatever you put on the altar and give to God, He's going to put His oil and His lamp right there through all the pieces of it. And you're going to find out. But the first move is yours. He's not going to just first send His lamp and send His oil and send His revival and send His power and send the miracles and see those great things that we want to see done. You're going to first get it all on the altar. When you get it all on the altar, completely yielded and dedicated to Him, that it's going to come. Uh, I don't want to dwell on those early years in Africa, but I want to tell you one thing, that the first two years was like taking one step forward and four steps backward. Everything we tried to do. <laughs> day when I get to go as a visitor and see the conferences in that country that we labored in for 24 years and look out over the masses of people and see what God has done, all that great tribe of young preachers that God has raised up over there. And I think about, oh God, if I'd only known this was going to happen, those early days might have been a little bit easier. Maybe I'd have grumbled a little bit less. I had to get old and ugly before I learned how to quit grumbling. Maybe not old and ugly enough yet, but I've learned to praise Him and to rejoice in Him. But when we make it all available to Him, you know, there's missionaries. We had a meeting, an impromptu meeting with missionaries last night, and all of them wasn't there, but there was, it wasn't planned, it just happened, and it's getting harder and harder for our missionaries to raise their support to go to Africa. It's getting harder and harder. One missionary said that they'd had five services in four weeks time, the rest of the time sitting in a motel, struggling. The few services they got just barely paid the motel bill. If there were some preachers that would yield themselves to God and quit saying negative things and would say, Yeah, we'll take you. Come on for the service. And let me tell you something else, preachers, and I know this to be a fact because I'm working with this all the time. If you'll turn your people loose, you'll be surprised what they will do. And what you don't understand is how they're going to be blessed when you do turn them loose. And how you're going to be blessed and how your church is going to be blessed. It shouldn't be that our missionaries struggle. One said last night that all I want to do is go back to the field and be a missionary. But I can't go without that support. Sure, we've had a little recession, but did God have any recession on His resources? i got to tell you a joke on me, only it's not really a joke. It's kind of sad. Happened at the last conference, Brother Freeman and I have several partners and missions, and I sat there and made up my mind, though I didn't say anything about it when before they started asking how many people are going to take all of those missionaries if they stand up there. And there's folks that leave and won't even say that for that because they're afraid it might touch their heart and they might do it. So they don't, they don't even get close to the altar with their gift. I mean, they get up and get out and go order a steak and sand, But sitting there on the platform, I, I, I thought about our budget. I thought about what we have to pay. I thought about our usual income. And I thought, well, now this year we won't be able to take all of them like he did last year. Uh, and as I'm listening, I heard him announce, Reverend E.L. Seaman, all twenty, all, all seventeen for twenty dollars a month. I started a prayer meeting, Jesus. Now, Lord, uh, we were just starting a fourth term of uh, regional field supervisor, four years. Now, Lord, for the next four years, you you, you just help us to do this, because, Lord, I'm not good at figuring, and I haven't got a pen, but that's over $300 a month, I know, extra. And, and Lord, I don't know where it's going to come from. And I had the distinct feeling he slapped my hand. He said, are you going to limit me? Do you think I'm going to go out of business in four years? think that's been providing up to this point? Who do you think's been taking care of you up to now? I had to have one of those, forgive me, Lord. (laughs) Forgive me, Lord. (laughs) Lord, we'll do it as long as we live if you help us, Jesus.
1: (laughs) Oh, God,
0: I am convinced that we don't know what we could do if we made available what we have in our hands by faith. We can get those missionaries out on the field. It oughtn't to be like it is. And the preachers will say, well, I can't call a service. I mean, we got so much going in the church that we, we can't call an extra service and get our people to church. Have they been taught right? If they have that little interest for this whole wide world. I love Louisiana with all my heart. And if I think about a home in America, I think about Louisiana. It still feels like home to me, even though I have three residents of other places that I seldom see. If only we would begin to do what we can do and reach beyond ourselves and reach beyond our state life. Whatever state you're from, from this state or any other state, you don't know what, don't, don't look at the way things are. Look at God, how big He is. What He can do. We haven't failed one month. i tell you one reason we haven't failed. This is taken out first. <laughs> what we give goes out first. Whatever we're going to do, we do with what's left. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus.
1: <laughs> oh, God.
0: There's one happening in the New Testament that worried me for years and that was the story of those two people, husband and wife, in the fifth chapter of Acts that agreed together. Ananias and Sapphira sold their land. Everybody else was selling theirs. So they sold their land and they agreed beforehand. Now we'll keep back this for old age. We'll keep this. We'll put this in the bank and let it draw interest. Would say today, modern day Ananias and sapphires would say. But we'll give this. I mean, it just seems so unfair for them to die. Immediately. I mean, immediately they died. Peter said they lied to the Holy Ghost. But there's been a lot of people that's done that since that time. And maybe some of them's died, but I don't know about it. Why was this in here? They agreed to keep back a part of their price. Oh, God. I think it's a warning to us. You hold out on God, friend. You've taken the first step towards death. Won't happen that day, maybe may not happen that year, but you go into a spiritual death when you refuse to go all the way and give your sacrifice, yielding yourself to the Lord. He wants you. He wants you. He wants everything you are, everything you have. He wants it all. (laughs) we wonder why we don't have more blessings we haven't yielded we haven't given ourselves completely in his hand and said God I'll do what you want me to do we've got so many things in our mind oh I could never do that or I could never do this you don't know what you can do until you yield yourself to the Lord and I believe in every service there's an opportunity for us to come yielded from the singers to the pew and the preacher all of us included if God could get control of this thing oh God One thing I do believe, and I've got to tell you this, a very prominent man with a very prominent position that embraces the whole state of Illinois told Brother Bob Rodenbush just recently, he said, if the United Pentecostal Church ever learns to smile, they'll take the whole world. Oh, I like what's been said about smiling here. I thought about that. If you ever learn to smile, you know why we can't smile? Is we're sitting on so much. We're holding back too much. We're not willing to give it all. We're not willing to give it all. And some of that we give goes like this. As children bring their toys, their broken toys, with tears for us to mend. I brought my broken dreams to God because He was my friend. But then, instead of leaving Him in peace to work alone, I hung around and tried to help with ways that were my own. At last I snatched them back and cried, How can you be so slow? My child, he said, What could I do? You never did let go. (laughs) I wanted to work where you are I wanted to move I wanted to bless I wanted to do miracles I wanted to demonstrate my power among you but you didn't let go You've held back a part of the price. You've put yourself on your little shelf with your little ideas. And you've clung to your own little comfortable ways. And you haven't been willing to put it in my hands and let go. When you let go, when you turn loose, When you present yourself to me and give yourself to me, I will reveal myself to you. I will show you my ways. I will lead you in my ways. You'll see things you never dreamed of seeing when you yield yourself to me. Will you give all or will you give just a part? Will you hold that part of the price? Will you give yourself to me? Oh, God. Oh, came to this camp I asked God that if there was anything left of me that he could use to work on would he please remake me and I asked him for a preacher for this service I think I got both Brother Timmy saith and you do it.